The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Well, of course, we, we, we talked about the Israeli conflict and the Gaza situation yesterday on the show and got in-depth analysis. But there's been a significant development in the past 24 hours. And this was the death of the deputy leader of Hamas. And the significant thing was that he was killed uh, in the Lebanon, not in Gaza. International leaders, including the French president, Emmanuel Macron have appealed for restraint because we are looking at perhaps a wider uh, widening of the, the conflict into a regional one uh, between Hezbollah, a.k.a. Iran maybe, uh, as was the war in 2006, as well as what's going on in Gaza. Uh, the IDF, uh, the Israelis are saying they're prepared for any scenario, although they haven't claimed responsibility for the death. Joining me now for more analysis and insights, uh, it's a pleasure to welcome Professor Scott Lucas from the Clinton Institute at University uh, College Dublin. Good morning, um, Scott, and a happy new year to you. Tell me, who was, is it Salah Al-Aruri? Now, Salah Al-Aruri uh, was one of the most important members of Hamas uh, for decades. He was one of the founders of its military wing. Uh, he was reportedly the commander, the military commander for Palestine's West Bank. And he was the deputy leader of Hamas's political office. So you have the double significance here. Uh, the first, as you noted, is that the Israelis have really sort of broken the rules of engagement uh, in the sense that they have gone beyond their territory and gone beyond Gaza to carry out this assassination. And secondly, this, is, this isn't just any middle-ranking Hamas member. This was a top-ranking political and military figure who was involved, for example, in the negotiations, the ongoing negotiations to release uh, hostages being held by Hamas in Gaza in return for women and children held in Israeli prisons. So just talk me through Hezbollah uh, in terms of they are a Shia uh, a faction. Um, they're linked with the Iranians. In other words, if they're involved in the conflict, what, what does it mean? How significant is it? What's the profile of Hezbollah? Well, Hezbollah is a Shia group. And, of course, the Iranian uh, – Iran is, a, you know, 95 percent of people in Iran are, are Shia, and it's a Shia leadership. Uh, Hamas, however, of course, is, is not predominantly Shia. Hamas is actually predominantly Sunni Muslim. So the alliance here uh, and Hezbollah's approach is not just a religious approach. It's a political approach. Uh, what they would call, along with Iran, the axis of resistance, which includes Hamas. And, of course, uh, since Hezbollah's founding, back in the 1980s, this has included uh, resistance uh, to Israel, sometimes armed conflict with Israel. We had significant, uh, effectively short-term, but still deadly wars between Israel and Hezbollah in the 1980s, in 1996 and in 2006. And we have got ongoing skirmishes even during this current conflict between Hamas and Israel um, on the border, the northern border of Israel with Lebanon. So far, we're not talking about a war between Hezbollah and Israel. We're talking about exchange of rocket fire, mortar fire, sometimes drone attacks. Um, there have been dozens of people killed. But both sides so far have checked this from escalating into a second front in the current uh, mass killing. The question is, is after al assassination – even though this is a Hamas leader that was assassinated, well, Hezbollah and or Israel now, like uh, 
release the shackles and actually go all out on the northern part of Israel and in Lebanon. Explain to me the relationship between the Lebanese government and Hezbollah. Uh, it's a complicated relationship. Uh, for many years, Hezbollah you know, positioned itself as the opposition, as the foe of uh, the Lebanese government. And, of course, we're talking about a period which during uh, Hezbollah's founding was during the Lebanese Civil War that lasted until the early 1990s. But even after that civil war started, you know, there's been ongoing uh, killings, there's been ongoing uh, skirmishes and conflict, but significantly Hezbollah came inside the tent. Um, eventually, the, the hope was to produce some stability in Lebanon, that Hezbollah became part of the ruling coalition. Um, it's been an uneasy partner of other factions in the coalition, and indeed, the Lebanese government in recent years has almost been paralyzed economically and socially, but at least you weren't in a position where Hamas was, uh, where Hezbollah, I should say, was an insurgency against the government. It was part of Lebanon's ruling establishment. But again, we now have the question, which is probably Lebanon's government does not want, uh, you know, this an escalation of violence with Israel. Uh, Lebanon is an economic basket case. It is almost bankrupt. A war would further doom it. Uh, but will Hezbollah defy its partners in the, uh, in the Lebanese government and say, no, we're tired of this. We actually are going to step things up against Israel. We should get a clue later today in a speech by its leader, uh, Mr. Nasrallah. No, I see a spokesperson for the foreign ministry of Iran uh, further to the killing said this would undoubtedly ignite another surge in the veins of resistance and motivation to fight against the Zionist occupiers, not only in Palestine, but also in the region amongst all freedom-seeking uh, uh, freedom worldwide. Uh, um, are we getting nearer to Iranian involvement? Oh, Iran's already involved. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that even before October 7th, with Hamas's mass killings inside Israel, uh, you know, Iranian officials... Um, especially military officials, met regularly with Hamas and with Hezbollah in Beirut. doesn't mean the Iranians knew about the October 7th attack by Hamas. I think the Iranian regime was surprised that Hamas crossed the line with the mass killing of civilians and taking so many hostages. Uh, but Iran is all in as a supporter of Hamas and Hezbollah as part of the so-called axis of resistance. Um, and indeed, here's an important part of con uh, context that I think most media have missed today. Uh, last week, Israel assassinated another, uh, assassinated another senior figure. They assassinated Iran's top commander in Syria, where Iran, of course, has been propping up the Assad regime amidst its killing of hundreds of thousands of civilians. Uh, so this is the second major assassination by Israel, which affects Hamas, Hezbollah, and Iran. Now, will Iran's regime escalate this into an all-out conflict with Israel? Almost certainly not. They know they would lose. They know for all their chest-thumping that their military couldn't match up to Israel, even with Israel being tied down in Gaza. Instead, what Hamas, uh, Iran does is it acts through its proxies, or acts through, I should say, its allies. For example, not only Hezbollah and Hamas, but also the Houthi insurgents in Yemen who've been carrying out attacks on shipping in the Red Sea, including on Israeli-linked shipping. So it's those types of attacks, let's call it indirect warfare, um, attacks on shipping, uh, supporting Hamas and Hezbollah, 
um, that's the way that the Iranians will continue to respond rather than an all-out conflict with the Israelis. And that Red Sea uh, conflict, I understand that container prices uh, of, of goods coming from, from Asia have gone up from 500 euros to 5,000 euros, which will have a knock-on effect there. Scott, could I ask you the wider question? Mm-hmm. The West's default position is nearly always to support Israel, US, UK, EU. What is the basis of that? I mean, when we see, you know, 22,000 civilians killed, you know, thousands of children killed and so on, it seems totally inhumane. Is it, is it at a deeper level because of guilt over the Holocaust? Is it to do with, with, with money and trade? Is it to do with Israel being the de facto ally in the Arab region? Why is the default position of the West so pro-Israeli? Well, I think you have to take this on a case-by-case basis because we're going to find out the default position is shifting. Let me explain. Uh, The United States has had a close strategic relationship with Israel since the 1967 Arab-Israeli War. In the aftermath of that war, U.S. leaders, the U.S. military, U.S. intelligence services basically saw Israel, Iran, and Saudi Arabia as being their three pillars for their position in the Middle East. Uh, Iran disappeared as a pillar in 79 with the Islamic Revolution. Saudi Arabia relations have been iffy from time to time. So Israel was always the bedrock of the American position. So even after October 7th, the U.S. institutions, the political institutions, the diplomatic institutions, and the executive, the Biden administration, while being concerned about Israel's own mass killings in Gaza, they just maintain those ties. And you have seen that because the U.S., which is the one country that could hold the Israelis back, and I think it's the only country that could hold the Israelis back at this point, will not cast its veto, will not support uh, calls for ceasefire in the Security Council, will not halt military aid, including providing unguided bombs to Israel. In the European community, it's varied from country to country. Germany has been a strong supporter of Israel, as indeed certain Eastern European countries like Poland, because of that legacy of the Holocaust. Because of the fact that Jews were expelled from those countries, the mass killings that took place, there's a great deal of sympathy for what the Jewish people went through. There has been some shift, however, even in the German position, which is becoming more and more concerned about Israel's mass killing. And, of course, in other countries in Europe, and let's start with Ireland, you haven't had the default position. You have had Ireland from the very start come out and say, look, mass killings on both sides are wrong. We need to step back from this. And, of course, you know, Ireland and certain other European countries have been condemned by Israel for supposedly and inaccurately uh, the Israeli claim that, you know, they are siding with Hamas. So do you think a legacy issue of this conflict will be a, a sort of tectonic shift in the West's support for Israel or will they double down? No, you're already seeing a shift. Now, the question is, will the shift be one which matches up the grassroots with the highest levels? You look at large sections of American society, and what I would say is this has been the most significant uh, questioning from the grassroots of Israel that I can remember in my lifetime. And, you know, I (laughs) was a young boy when the 67 war took place. Uh, You have seen mass marches in the United States. You have seen a lot of people who have questioned, you know, when Israel says never again, does never again justify Uh, displacing 85% of Gaza's population, killing more than 22,000 people, uh, effectively paralyzing that place for decades, and possibly threatening the eviction of Palestinians. You have seen, of course, 
uh, I think, a shift in opinion in Europe and in other parts of the world. Don't forget parts like Asia. Don't forget uh, Latin America, Africa. The question is, at the highest levels, does that shift mean that Israel winds up being isolated in the international community? For now, Israel still retains a lot of or some support from the political elites, not just the governments, but from business elites, um, from large sections of the American media, especially in the United States. But as the Israeli foreign minister warned a couple of months ago, if this continues, we will have a diplomatic shift against Israel. He said at that point, we only have three weeks before that shift begins to isolate us. He said that two months ago. Fascinating insights there. My thanks to Scott Lucas, Professor Scott Lucas and political analyst uh, with the Clinton Institute at University College Dublin and all the portents and warnings of there are a widening of the conflict. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.